Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Houston. Well, Super Rugby's in for a major shake-up. It'll be 15 teams next year, down from 18, which means three to go. One from Australia and two from South Africa. New Zealand keeps its five franchises. But who will go? In Australia, it's a real schmozzle, but it's down to the Perth-based Western Force and the Melbourne Rebels. RNZ Rugby reporter Joe Porter joins us now. Joe, um... The Australian Rugby Union's it's coming for a lot of flack, hasn't it, over its handling of this? How's it got got it so wrong? Well, the Australian Union hasn't had any clarity with its franchises for a start and seem to perhaps not have any idea themselves as to what they were going to do. The force have already filed legal action against the Australian Rugby Union who were supposed to have announced this week which team they were going to cut. So that's now been delayed until at least after Easter. I think they're all just running around in circles. They don't know what's going on. They have to cut another team because they know that they can't field five teams with the talent they have spread that far across Australia. They have to get rid of one. They wanted to get rid of the force. It seems like they've now taken legal action. So they're looking at the Rebels and whether or not they can get rid of them, though they're privately owned. So they face a whole bunch of hurdles in trying to get rid of them. Essentially, the ARU now is looking rather reactive and it's somewhat, I guess, toothless at this point in time because they're not coming out and making a firm, strong decision. It's all wishy-washy and people within their own community are fighting back. Creates a lot of uncertainty too, doesn't it? Talk about it. I mean, you've got 100-odd players, management, coaches, staff and teams now that have no idea whether or not they have a future in the cities they're currently based in or within the game at all. So you've got people who have relocated their whole lives to places like Perth, families and all the rest of it, and they may well be forced to leave next year. So tough times. And for teams that are trying to prepare for games on the weekend against New Zealand teams who are (laughs) dominating all before them and have absolutely no worries about what's going to happen next year must be a very difficult situation to be in. I suppose maybe should back up just a bit. The catalyst, what's what's sort of been the, the driver behind this whole 18 to 15? Well, it wasn't. The competition wasn't working. Essentially, the NZR and the Australian Union, I guess, balked under pressure from South Africa to expand this competition to 18 teams when they wanted to due to political motivations that South Africa had. Uh, the competition wasn't working. We had revenues were down, broadcast-wise, num- broadcast TV watching viewers and numbers were down. We had crowd attendances down across the game across Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. So less people watching it on TV, less people showing up to the games, less money being brought in. People were questioning the integrity of the competition because you got sides that could breach the final or get a home final without having played any of the New Zealand teams. There was a whole range of issues with it. The travel factor, the fa- there was just it just didn't really feel like a good competition. It didn't have a good product because some teams were getting flogged by massive amounts of points. There was so much disparity. So too many teams in South Africa, too many in Australia, too much sort of disparity in terms of the spread of talent and no one was watching and people were starting to not show up and I imagine trying to sell to a Queensland Reds fan come and watch at Suncorp this weekend as the Reds get 50 put 50 on them by the Chiefs it would be a hard sell so that, something had to change. Um, South Africa I mean uh, well Australia's looked to, to move quickly but failed to do so <laughs> but uh, South Africa's um, said it's going to be a couple of months before they even get round to saying yeah. who, who, who's going. End of June before they even make a decision although it seems fairly telegraphed that the Kings will go we all know that they are a burden financially on the South African Rugby Union so that's an easy decision for them. The Cheetahs who I've heard described by South African Corries as 
everyone's second team in South Africa. If you you know wherever you are, you support your team, and then you support the cheaters. So perhaps there's a little but like bit the more, Highlanders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So perhaps there's a little bit more political motivation or, or working that needed there to get rid of the cheaters because everyone likes them so much. And and the cheaters boss himself has come out and said, "No, we're safe." So I guess there's a lot of political wrangling there. Bobby Skinstad, former Springboks, come out and said nothing's ever going to happen because there's so many people looking out for their own interests in the Republic that nothing ever bloody changes. So it kind of seems a little bit like that over there at the moment. No one really quite knows quite what's going on, but I guess ultimately they will make a decision. But knowing South Africa, will they get it right? I'm not so sure. Uh, another another issue this week, Sonny Bill Williams and his bank gate, tape gate, whatever you, <laughs> you want to call it. I mean, what are your thoughts on just the way he's handled it all? Yeah, look, I I admire the stance he's taking and the fact that he, I guess, has admitted that as he's developed a deeper understanding of the faith, we converted to Islam in 2008, that he's become more aware of these situations and things that perhaps might run against his moral code. So I have no issue with the fact that he doesn't want to have the BNZ and Investec logos on his jersey, especially considering that he's had those... um, You know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conscientious obligations or... uh, What's the word? No, it's not the word. Conscientious objections. Conscientious <laughs> objections is the phrase I'm looking for here. Gosh, yeah, we tripped over that a few times this week. He's had that in his contract for a long time. So he's had this you know, ability to, 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 I guess, action these clauses. However, the way he went about it was poor. He didn't communicate with the NZR or the Blues to, on any degree, it would seem, and therefore was rushed into this hasty decision of covering up with a bit of tape. So I don't have any issue with the moral stand he's taking, particularly because it's within his contract to do so. However, he should have taken a more professional approach to it. And, um, it, yeah, it wasn't really a good look for me. And he made a mistake in not communicating it very well. And it hasn't come across potentially as the best look. It certainly divided the New Zealand rugby public. But these kind of things tend to bring out the best and the worst. And the New Zealand rugby fans, I must say. <laughs> I, I suppose... He sort of didn't do his homework either, did he? When, when he covered up the BNZ logo, yeah. didn't bother covering up the Investec yeah. one, then said, I didn't know Investec was yeah. a bank. So, so it seems I've, a bit reactionary and it seems a little unthought out and perhaps maybe you know a little bit off the cuff and, like you say, not very well thought out and he didn't do his homework. However, yeah, he's maybe admitted to that in, in the statement this morning and I guess the NZR and the Blues have now moved on and they can all move on from the issue. And I don't have a problem with players taking stands of these sorts, but yeah, like you say, he didn't do his homework and perhaps needs to be a little bit more careful around taking moral and objective stands to get things, your ducks in a row, because otherwise it can come across as looking a little foolish or uneducated. Uh, interesting too, I mean, I know that several players have all sort of said they're not going to do promotional work around KFC, yep. haven't they? So, yep. I mean, it's not an, it's an issue that's been around for a bit yep. and one that you know players have said, look, because yep. fast food logo... Um, or fast food brand, not not good for diet, etc. Um, so we're not being involved. So it's not something new. And then, I mean, we even look back to, um, it's quite an issue with Clive, Clive uh, Rathbone yeah, when he was right. uh, the uh, playing for the Brumbies. Yeah, or yeah, well, of course, he, he was sponsored, uh, sorry, contracted by the Brumbies and the AAU, and they had a sponsorship day with McDonald's where they were supposed to be sending tweets out. It was around a whole encouraging kids to... Um, come down to the drive-through where these Brumbies players are working at Sir McDonald's. He obviously had a moral uh, objection to promoting fast food to kids. He uh, feels that you know, I guess it's an oxymoron <laughs> trying to do those two things. It's it's not a place for professional athletes to be encouraging youngsters to get uh, to consume food which is not good for their health. So he tweeted some rather pointed uh, tweets instead of encouraging them to come down, saying uh, you know. Depression is directly linked to obesity. Happy Macca's Day. <laughs> Things such as this. So, and obviously the Brumbies took exception to it and so did McDonald's. And he said, well, I thought I was contractually obliged to be involved in this day. But I said I didn't want to and that was the repercussion. So people have taken stands before and I, I think that 
it's it's a good thing for athletes to be able to do that rather than be the corporate slave, so to speak. However, you've got to be careful when you do it and you've got to make your intelligent decisions and you've got to clearly communicate it so that you don't step on anyone's toes. And in this case, I think Sonny has, has done nothing wrong. He's ultimately done the right thing. And I think taking the stand is a good thing for New Zealand rugby to be able to include these kinds of you know, beliefs in amongst their culture. However, he probably could have gone about it just a little bit more succinctly and a little bit better. I suppose the other issue you've got is sort of it's a case of yeah. biting the hand that feeds, isn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, if everyone starts pulling out, um, yes. saying I'm not going to uh, have this logo, w- yep. whatever, I mean, um, that's why the sponsors are involved. They sort of want to get some bang for their buck. Yeah, it's a can of worms. How many players do you get? objecting to having the BNZ logo on the jersey before BNZ decide it's not worth sponsoring the team. So certainly, I mean, Neil Sorensen this morning spoke about how they expect more and more players to start actioning this conscientious objection clause within their contract. So I think it's a bit of a movable feast. I don't even think the NZR quite know how it may shape the future economics in terms of sponsorship. BNZ have been very good about this situation, as have the NZR and the Blues. However, in the future, if you had perhaps half of your starting All Blacks deciding they don't want AIG on their test jersey, that could cause problems. So I guess it will continue to develop as New Zealand rugby allow their players and encourage their players to perhaps um, be more vocal with their, their beliefs. Joe Porter, our RNZ Rugby reporter. Thanks for your time. The Crusaders and all-black prop Wyatt Crockett is set to play a record-breaking 176th Super Rugby game when the Crusaders take on the Japanese side, the Sunwolves, in Christchurch on Friday night. Crockett will take over from former all-blacks teammate Kevin Lamu as the most-capped Super Rugby player. Crockett says he never thought he'd make it as a professional rugby let alone become Super Rugby's most capped player. Wise coach once told me that it's uh, not about the number of games you play, but it's what you do in the jersey. And I think that's, um, you know, when you, when you get to milestones like this, it's, it's, it's really nice for your family and stuff like that. And and um, and that's pretty cool. Um, but at the end of the day, go out there and, and try and play well. And, you know, the, the good thing about this year is um, we can just be focused on, on trying to play really well for the Crusaders. We've started well, which is, which is awesome to start the season well. And, um, and hopefully we can continue to, to grow as a team and, um, and have, a, have a decent crack at it this year. What can you remember about your debut? Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I, I remember being pretty nervous. I think I got about 20 minutes and, um, off, off the bench. I think the first tackle I ever made, I dislocated my thumb um, and uh, physio came in and slotted that back into place and, and carried on and it went really quickly. Um, the game, you know, that, that 20 minutes just just absolutely flew by, and um, you know, it's um, it was it was just just special to get that first one under, under the under the belt and sort of get a bit of confidence that you that you can foot it at, at this this level. You've you've had a bit of adversity to get through throughout your career, and you've come out sort of through that and a lot of All Black Test caps. But has there been any sort of times where you thought, you know, they they love us? Front rowers up there in the northern hemisphere. I'll, I'll, I'll cash up and, and, and head away. Is that how close have you come to making a decision like that? Um, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that there's been been some tough times, there's ups and downs, and in, in, um, in a footy career, and, and that's part and parcel of what we do. And um, you know, at, at times, yeah, you sort of there was a couple of times where I sort of uh, you know thought maybe maybe it is time to head away and do something different and um, that's when you sort of consult the family, consult the people that um, mean a lot to you, my, um, my manager, family, um, some friends and um, and, then, and then sort of 
think about it yourself, and I, I just knew that I had a lot more to give, and uh, I didn't want to didn't want to leave and have regrets. So, um, and, and that was helped by that that process of talking to people, and um, I'm really really happy that I that I ended up making the right decision and sticking around. And um, yeah, I worked on the tools for the first couple of years um, as an apprentice builder, um, and and you know that, that that was a pretty tough time. I, I think like in terms of training hard in the mornings and then going to work all day and then coming to club training or, or more training in the, in the evenings and it was sort of um, eat, sleep, train, work, repeat, you know, it was uh, it was like that for a couple of years which was, I suppose, instilled some good um, work ethic and, you know, and then, then when, I suppose, the opportunity to play professionally you really appreciate that. Is 2019 realistic, you know, that you're charging towards the next World Cup? That's the goal, mate. Um, I'm, you know, doing everything I can to do that. So I just got to keep working hard and um, keep trying to evolve and, and, and be the best I can be. And you know, what, what will happen will happen. The New Zealand UFC heavyweight fighter Mark Hunt is in the country this week. He's here to promote his upcoming bout with American Derek Lewis at Auckland's Vector Arena in June. It'll just be the second time the UFC have held an event in New Zealand and Hunt's fight will headline the event. The 43-year-old has been in the mixed martial arts business for 27 years. But he told RNZ's Matt Chatham there's no plans of slowing down. I've got four fights left in my contract, you know. I'm still in the top ten. I don't think so. We'll see what happens, of course, but, you know. Do you still feel as though you've still got quite a few years left in your legs? Like you feel as though you, you've still got plenty to offer the sport? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, being four to three and fighting the best fighters in the world just just goes to show how good I am. Yeah, you know, <laughs> for as long as I've been doing it, so you know, there you go. Just on the fight itself coming up, um, how important is it bringing this back to New Zealand? This is only the second time we've had UFC Fight Night here. I mean, it's and the sport is growing quite a lot here. How, how important is it? It's important. It's great because there's so many kids here that want to be prize fighters. So many boys and girls. You know, and, um, you know, they have an end now. They can see an end. The end is UFC. Yeah. You know, before when I started, there was no end. You had to try and find the way, you know, fighting. Now the end is here. So the door UFC is in here. Yeah, if you're good enough, you can be a part of this organization. So, you know, you tell these young Kiwi boys and girls, you know, young New Zealanders, uh, and they'll, they'll tell you, man. Hey, man, they know about Mark Hunt. They know about all these UFC fighters, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor. That's because the sport's going mainstream. So yeah. they have an avenue to go. And for youngsters getting into the sport, what would sort of be your advice given all the experience you have? Yeah, man, believe in yourself. Self-belief is the, is the only way. You know, I mean, that's where it starts. Got to start somewhere. And um, having that self-belief is 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 eighty percent important in this game. In the week that Sergio Garcia won his first major, the US Masters, the New Plymouth Golf Club has sold one of Sir Arnold Palmer's putters for over $100,000. The club has used the putter as a junior's trophy for almost 40 years. Palmer used the putter on the way to his victory at the 1964 Masters at Augusta. Sally Murphy spoke to the golf club's manager, Simon Rowe, and asked him just how they came into possession of the club. A member of our club, Mike Brook, uh, got hold of Arnold Palmer directly in uh, somewhere around 1980 and just asked him to, or if he was willing to supply something as a trophy for a junior golf fixture. Arnold got uh, our club captain's details and address and basically he shipped, uh, unbeknown to us, the putter to us. We didn't know if we were going to get a hat, a glove, 
uh, we weren't sure what we were going to get, and uh, so we ended up uh, and we ended up with his 1964 Masters uh, winning putter. And so, what's it been used for? You've had it for nearly 40 years. Uh, we've used it as a, um, a trophy for junior golf, which was a, we used it as a teams trophy um, between the sort of interclub. Uh, it never actually um, uh, left the premise, but it was just put. It's in a uh, trophy cabinet here, and it was. It was put on display for the day, and there was a, a small sort of plaque and engraved to go on the the case itself at, at the time. Um, so yeah, that's uh, and then sort of uh, forty years later, we're now looking for a replica to uh, fill the case. And what does it look like? Is it in good nick? No, it's sort of it showed it's uh, showing its age uh, a little bit like me. Um, no, there was some marks uh, on the hosel where I think he tinkered with it. There was some holes that had been drilled in the bottom of it to either uh, add or um, decrease the weight of the putter head itself. So people like to tinker with their gear. They might like it to be a, a set one way or another, a degree uh, one way or another. Uh, so it's had, it has shown some marks where someone had definitely uh, tinkered with it and it was probably uh, Arnold himself. And so how much did you get for it? Was it what you were expecting? Uh, I would have thought that we would have possibly got a little bit more for it, but that's just based on, I suppose, what the trophy sold for. Uh, uh, but, you know, we're happy. I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we're, no, we're very happy with it. I, like I said, I just would have thought, with, based on some other stuff that it sold, that we just would have got a little bit more. Roughly 98000 US. So uh, I think on the exchange rate, it's about 140. That's Sally Murphy talking to Simon Rowe of the New Plymouth Golf Club. That brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Houston. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.